Welcome to the Don Pravda and Erica Gray Show, The Twist. Good evening, folks. Welcome to the Don Pravda and Erica Gray Show. Don Pravda speaking at a time of emergency and in an unknown era in world history. We're actually going to talk about a lot tonight, but we're going to start talking about an article that appeared in the Jerusalem Post in which Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko warned of a nuclear war. And it's a pretty shocking article. And he said that the Western sanctions were pushing Russia Russia towards a third world war. The end of the statement is Russia is being pushed towards a third world war. We should be very reserved and steer clear of it because nuclear war is the end of everything. Don, do you th- really think this this whole conflict is going to end in a nuclear war? Well, this is no longer a, a movie. This is not a television show or a documentary. This is real life. And I believe that the better natures of our world leaders will come together and avert this catastrophe. You really think so? You don't I think do. you have Putin basically threatening that his nukes are ready, and now you have this statement by Lukashenko, apparently a very, very big caravan of soldiers are heading into Ukraine, and there's a vaporizing flamethrower that's been launched on the border. I mean, this thing is really getting serious, and the sanctions that have just leveled Russia, and now you have this threat, basically, of nuclear war in retaliation. What do you think it would look like if it happened? Let's say Vladimir Putin sent a nuke to Europe or sent a nuke to the United States. What would happen? What would the world look like after that? It means the uh, world would not recover from this for 10 to 20 years. It means that our we'd have, we've had episodes in which people would be running for their lives and it won't make a difference. All will perish in the realm of a nuclear bomb. And it won't help if you go to Idaho, if you go to Iowa, if you want to go out to uh, Western Canada, it's not going to do you any good. The poisons will follow you and there'll be no reprieve. So we don't really think that's going to happen, even though there's the threat of this. And this is pretty scary stuff. This would even be mentioned like this by a world leader. And uh, we just appeal to the, the common sense to Mr. Putin and the leaders of his nation. Nothing is to be achieved with a war. And I you mean a world war? A world war. There is internal problems. It's a long union between Kiev and Moscow. It dates back to the 7th century. They have more in common than they have not in common, which includes spiritual values. The Russian Orthodox Church, of course, is the official religion of the former Soviet Union, Russia, and likewise, the Ukrainian churches are still very strong. They have input, and they have emotion within the Ukraine. And I'm certain that people are praying for for this country all over the world. And may God be merciful on the Jewish people in the Ukraine and Kiev. Well, there was another major development. And it's interesting because when this first happened, I know I felt there was almost something dark that came over the world. And other people I know felt it. And I know what happened. There was a geopolitical seismic shift. And this was going to cause it. And that's what we're going to talk about next is 
the European Union basically just stepped up as a military power. It's already a huge economic power, and it's got some political teeth, but now those teeth just grew fangs, and they're sending an incredible aid package. Ursula von der Leyen, the commission president, stated it was a watershed moment for Europe. Joseph Borrell stated this was a first for the European Union. So we know that they've been building their army and they've got the strategic compass in which they were going to add troops. But now this has caused a coordination and a major step up and almost a statement to the world that they're now a military power within this world now of empires. So the European Union has just put itself on the map as a military power. And I mean, what do you what do you think about um, that? The European Union is making itself gradually known. They are players. They have the connections. They have the wealth. They have the resources to confront. And they also have the, the ability to stop. So they can put on a green light and they can put on a red light. And uh, may we pray for, for those in power, for those who have influence in the world, that this crisis be averted. And I strongly believe that it will be. When I was a little boy, there was the famous story of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And due to the efforts of President Kennedy, and of course his late brother, as well Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, working alongside with the forces that be, and there were basic threats about our nuclear weapons aimed at the Soviet Union. These missiles were averted, and the crisis never occurred. The world did not end, and obviously we're still here, and we're going to be here for a long time, and humanity is not going away. And Well, that's pretty optimistic in light of the total world chaos right now, Don. I've got to say I'm not as optimistic, okay. and I don't hold your view there. But then again, I also am a prophecy teacher. There's a little bit different story that I present based on the prophetic forecasts, and based on those, this is all heading us towards the eventual Battle of Armageddon. So that is an area where we do differ. But Joseph Burrell, who is essentially the European Union's foreign minister, he stated that right now the European Union's military budget, interestingly enough, is four times that of Russia's and that it's equal to China, but that they also need to step it up. I thought that was an interesting fact that came out of his speech. And also concerning this age of empires that we are now clearly in, we have the Russian Empire, the European Union Empire, the U.S. Empire, China, India. The U.S. ambassador at the U.N., in her speech today, they had an emergency session today, she was calling Russia an empire and trying to revive this age of empires. And I don't think she got the memo that we are, in fact, in this empire age. We're in this multipolar world. And what we're seeing with this conflict with Russia is that one, this is a conflict of this multipolar world, the first conflict, the first war of this multipolar world. And you're seeing the empires, Russia team with China, and possibly a regional split within this new order. And you have the European Union now that has just asserted itself. So what are your thoughts on that? And how do you feel Israel fits in all of that? Well, here's something... Uh... 
to watch very carefully. At this moment, there's pilots in Israel on standby. They're ready to enter the Ukraine, and there will be a massive shift as the Jewish people rally. And those who wish to go to Israel will be able to leave, and those who wish to stay will stay. And I'm quite aware that there is a noble Jewish community in the Ukraine. It's very large. It's very real. And by and large, the major players are a beloved Lubavitch community. There's the however in here, which we must recall that when you really come down to it, there are certain Ukrainian nationalist leaders from the past, including Bandera, and nothing to be proud about. And there's also those who have great faith and hopes and wish for a better Ukraine in a situation that will be inevitably kinder to Ukraine in the future. So we hope and we pray and we believe there's a way out of this conflict. You can meet in middle ground and all this can be averted. There's another major development too is the Ukraine had wanted to become a member of the European Union. It was a matter of they had an association agreement and there were certain things that needed to be done within the Ukraine before it could apply for EU membership. But with what's going on now between Ukraine and Russia, they now have asked for fast-track membership and the European Parliament is going to vote on whether this can proceed forward. But it's pretty much being talked about that they're going to to give the Ukraine this fast-track road to membership. And this is pretty major because if the Ukraine were a member of the European Union, then what would happen is it would come under the protection and under the umbrella of the European Union. And this is another area where the EU is stepping up and making a statement. And I thought that was pretty major, although probably a lot of people who follow follow a lot of U.S. news and aren't really in tune to what's going on in Europe, wouldn't see what that means. But that's actually another major, major step on the part of Europe. And also, if they're now launching their military, putting their, going to be putting their boots on the ground, and they're also adding this military arm, what that's saying to Russia is this is going to go beyond NATO or Ukraine being a member of NATO and getting the protection of NATO, Ukraine is going to, in some point in the near future, have the protection of Europe and this up-and-coming army. What's your thoughts on that? That's another seismic shift. Well, Ukraine is a large country. It's got a large population. It's very desirable for the Russians to want to retake it. And the Europeans. And the Europeans, and to be part of what was the Soviet Union and bring it back into their sphere. And regretfully, it is escalated. We hear actually very little from the Orthodox Church, a little bit from the Catholic Church, and right now the Jewish community is praying for its welfare. The Jewish people are still a minority, and they're very vulnerable at this time. You mentioned that within Russia, you had talked to somebody in the Lubavitch community, and how many centers are there in Russia? There are over 200 Lubavitch centers in the Russias. It's a great achievement. It's very real. It's, it's, they've, they've taken enormous amount of efforts to form the Jewish community to teach Torah, to in fact have kosher food, and to have the yeshiva or school movement grow with each decade, each year, it's getting bigger, not smaller. And on this matter, we're grateful to Mr. Putin in that he has not interfered with religious worship. He honors and respects religious dedication and spiritual leadership. And may this continue. Israel was pretty
pretty slow to come out and condemn Russia. Most likely was it done because of the good relations that the Jews have with Russia. And now they've come out. What's your thoughts on that? There's a pending agreement with, with Russia's Eurasian Union. And also there's the relations, which you're talking about, been very positive for the Jews in Russia and for the freedom of the Jewish religion, which I want to state the evangelicals don't share that because there is an anti-missionary law which was designed for the cults, but it actually ends up imprisoning or getting various evangelicals arrested because if they share their faith or do certain things, then they're violating that law. So I just want to highlight that while his policies have been very favorable for the Jews, not as favorable for the evangelicals, but the evangelicals do have more freedom under Putin than under the previous premiers or czars. So what's your thoughts with Israel now actually coming out today and making a statement against the Russian invasion of Ukraine? And how do you feel that might affect now the Jewish community in Russia? Israel's in a very sensitive position. It has a fragile relationship with the former Soviet Union. However, it has a strong bond and it is much improved compared to the past at any time in history. So therefore, Israel is in fact sending aid and weaponry to the Ukraine, but they also know that one of these days there's going to be an end to this skirmish. There's going to be an end to this. What will happen is that all this is going to be diffused sometime in the next few months. And then what will happen? Mr. Putin will remain in power. Israel is going to have to deal with him once again. Israel has a lot of Jewish people. A lot of Jewish people remain in the former Soviet Union, the Ukraine. They have a way of life. They have homes and businesses and synagogues. And there are concerns that the Ukrainian nationalists, the ultra-right wing, will harm the Jewish people. There is that concern. Absolutely. Well, we don't really hear that in the news. It's all the same narrative, but yet there are these hidden realities like what the Jews have experienced. While some of the media is saying that the talk of Nazism is not correct and is just fictitious, it really isn't. I mean, that does exist. And you know that from your community. I also know from my ancestry and that you're listening to somebody who in fact has deep roots in in Russia and particularly in the 19th century. And at that time, due to the policies of the secret police, Jewish children were captured. They were taken away from their families, taken from their communities, and something called a Canaanite Jewish community was formed. However, 25 years of servitude in the army was required. So therefore, my ancestor was taken from his home at seven, left the service of the czar at the age of 32. And as you can well imagine, after this kind of a life, which is a terrible one, and a life with infliction, you will never be the same. So we have to be also understanding that this is not happening in this particular era, and we're grateful. We need the cooperation of Mr. Putin, and we need resolution and the basic leaders to come together in a halt to this violence. Well, let's talk about the resolution. Putin is basically asking that Ukraine be a neutral country. 
And I don't think that that's unreasonable given that Ukraine is a border country of Russia, and yet the nations don't want to compromise at all. So they don't compromise at all, the empires. They won't compromise. Every empire has its own agenda. And not only do they not compromise, but then they wonder why this is all happening. And if they had only compromised with Putin, if they had only said, yes, we will agree that Ukraine will not become a member of NATO, apparently, according to the NATO charter, they they don't have to accept every nation and they can determine if they're going to refuse a nation, but they would not give it. They would not give one little tiny inch, one little tiny, they wouldn't, they wouldn't give. Think part of the issue here of what's happening, this war, everybody is putting the blame on Russia, but yet they would not compromise. There was no compromise. And I didn't think that some of what was being asked was unreasonable. What are your thoughts there? The the two sides need to come together. We understand the basics of the way that Mr. Putin is thinking. He learned his craft in his days in KGB in East Germany. He understands how people think. He understands power and control. And regretfully, Ukraine has to make some concessions to to Russia, and Russia has to make concessions to Ukraine. And somewhere in the middle, this can be done, and with its power and its will, it can be done and achieved. So you think there is going to be a resolution, and there will be some kind of compromise? I do. I feel it's likely. It's very possible. It can be done, and God willing, they can achieve both of their nation's goals can be achieved and it can be improved for the future. There was a really good article which talked about how much NATO has actually expanded. And Russia's been pretty pretty quiet with all of that NATO expansion. But then Russia started to not be so quiet and talk about the NATO expansion and how they were upset about it. And I think that the Ukraine became the tipping point. Do you agree with that? Uh, yes, I, I would say so. Uh, Mr. Putin is very concerned about the Ukraine entering NATO, which gives uh, Europe an automatic uh, leg up on the conflicts that he has. And so he feels that Russia, in fact, is vulnerable to attack and even more so if the Ukraine is in NATO. So that is the thinking of, of Mr. Putin and, and his leadership. What I'm saying is, I think this whole mess began because nobody would compromise. That's true. There has to be compromise. There has to be compromise in relationships. There has to be compromise in business. And there has to be compromise with governments. And there was no compromise. It was our way or the highway. And it was a matter of poking the Russian bear. And now he's popped. And I think think, like you said, that there can be peace if there can be that compromise. But there's also the scenario of if he completely takes Ukraine and Ukraine comes under Russia and the sanctions remain, that Russia will then forge with China, will forge with Asia, and you can have a real split in this empire age. And this is an empire age. And you can have a split of the empires that cleave 
to one another, and I believe the U.S. is going to be cleaving to the European Union because now it's going to need to be that wall or strength against Russia and China. So that's also a possibility that I see is a real regional split in the globe. So much for globalization. And let's not forget, we have a lot of business relationships with Russia, and uh, the markets are closing. The banks are affected. Financial institutions are affected. People who have uh, long-term relationships with Russia, who do business there, who have family there, those who have family in the Ukraine and Russia and in America. There's so much happening at the same time, and there's worry and there's fear, and fear alone can create a global depression. Well, you're right. They closed down the Moscow Stock Exchange. Imagine how many hedge funds are affected. ETFs, Russian ETFs, or Russian ETFs, following the Russian exchange and Russian companies, and people that are invested. A lot of people invest in the emerging markets. And so you have some that were were long on Russia, and now those hedge funds. This is going to have repercussions in so many different areas, and in some ways, we're shooting ourselves in the foot with all of these sanctions. And there was a Russian ambassador who was interviewed who stated that very thing, that those sanctions were going to hurt not just the Russians, but they're going to hurt the world economy. And the world economy is already hurting because of inflation, because it's not recovered yet from COVID. And now these sanctions may end up having a boomerang of, well, not may have a a boomerang will have a boomerang effect in some areas. Well, right now, we all we all share our concerns, there's hopes and worries. There's people right in my home city of New York City that has an enormous uh, Ukrainian population. People are worried. They're walking up and down the street with frowns, not smiles. And the Jewish community is extremely worried that if there's uh, some kind of ultra-nationalist attacks, it will hit the Jewish community and will hit hard. We don't want anybody to be harmed. We want, we need a display of courage now. That is what will preserve peace. Courage, dynamic, uncompromising commitment to the end of this conflict, which is virtually ancient. These peoples go back to the 7th century. Ukrainians speak Russian. Plenty of Russians speak Ukrainian. This country has deep roots in the former Ukraine, We know where the bread basket was. Our ancestors have fled here. So it's something that's on the mind of almost every human being in this country. And of course, in New York, it is heightened because of our ties from the past and to the present. And one last thing about New York before we, I think we've pretty much covered everything that we wanted to cover tonight on this broadcast. But one last thing is the Haradim have a strong presence in New York City. And you were just at an event, and why don't you talk about what happened in Times Square the other night? Uh, For those who think the Jewish people are not interested in religion or Torah or yeshiva, I have some news for you. Around a 1,000 teenagers ascended on Times Square on Saturday night, singing and dancing, praising God, gathering. And these are observant Jews, very, very committed. They're young, and they know that there is, they are the future, and they are the future of Jewry, and, uh, and we are so lucky to have Israel as a Jewish sovereign 
nation. The the group that was in Times Square were they the were they all Hasidic? Uh, this is sponsored by the Lubavitch Hasidic movement. It is done at least once per year, but this is the main time. And I'll tell you something, friends. Not every teenager is interested these days in in singing、uh, Jewish songs, studying Torah, and gathering, except maybe to go to a party. Or to go to a to go to a ball game. This was not a ball game or a party. This was very young people gathering with with their heart being together. They're giving out literature. They care about their city, and they make Brooklyn a much better place because Lubavitch is in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, and they have they have the commonality of an ancestry to the Ukraine. They're very worried about this nation, and of course, its Jewish citizens, which have been there for hundreds of years. You had mentioned a rabbi, and the Times of Israel just wrote. That he had a group of about thirty-five, and they were all staying put, and they were looking for like food and supplies. And he was from Crown Heights, Brooklyn. I I thought that was pretty wild that you would read of this rabbi now in Ukraine who was from your community. Well, thankfully we have、uh, Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar, who more or less is the chief rabbi of the Russias. He is of he is with Lubavitch. He's has a long relationship with Vladimir Putin. They speak regularly. They speak openly, and I hope Rabbi Lazar has some words of encouragement for Mr. Putin. And may and may God be kind, and may God be just to this this worldwide、uh, crisis. Yes, and that's it now for tonight's show. Till next time. Any your last words, Don? I'll say shalom, shalom, shalom. And I will say God bless, folks. We'll see you next time. Tune in next time for more from Don Provder and Erica Gray for their twist on world news.